Yes, Christopher Dock, uh, the old uh, Mennonite preacher. Right, he, right. He survived, yes. Okay, uh, you're going to tell us a little bit about the apostolics or? A bit, a little bit. Okay, yeah. and the connection to Anabaptists and, right, and, right. and uh, how we're connected and a little bit the uh, teaching today. Our topic title is Non-Resistance, Conscientious Objectors or Non-Combatants. Right. So we're delighted that you're here today and that you're going to share with us. Let's have a prayer. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity. And bless Brother Matt in a special way. Calm his heart as he looks out over all these dear people who are trying to, uh, Lord, advance your kingdom in, in, uh, in the ways, Lord, that we're called to. And so just bless Matt in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So we'll give you 40 minutes. We'll start right now. It's 155 here on yours. And I'll wave okay. a little flag at you to get your attention. Okay. That'll be the three-minute call. And then uh, three minutes later, I'll wave the orange flag at you again. All right. No worries. There's an, uh, in Ohio, there's an amusement park called Cedar Point. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of it. But before I was a Christian, I used to love to go to Cedar Point and ride the roller coasters and things like that. And since I became a Christian, I have no desire to go there anymore. But now uh, I have a desire to come to gatherings like this where we fellowship with believers and like-minded believers. This is like my Cedar Point now. <laughs> so this is a huge blessing. I'm thankful to be here. And I want to quick say greetings from the Apostolic Christian Church uh, where I was raised. It's a small Anabaptist denomination, probably around 10,000 members, uh, mainly in America, some in Canada. And uh, It started in Switzerland in the 18... 1830s by a man named Sam Frelich, and uh, I'm curious, are there any apostolics? Can I, can I see a hand raise of any apostolic Christians today? Some over here? Hey, brothers. <laughs> no. Okay. I'll quick tell you a story. Um, I'm not going to be near as polished as Brother John D., so I apologize. Um, I'm not speaking in front of people very much, besides in school. Um, I'm kind of a storyteller, but when I was growing up, uh, the Apostolic Church that I was raised in was the only Anabaptist church in the area. And uh, I knew there was something very special about our church. Um, this just seemed different than other churches, and I love my church for that. And we seemed like you could tell there's very sincerity whenever people decided to become a Christian. There was just this obvious uh, change in their life when they would repent of their sins, and then and they become a Christian, and then they were part of this church. And then there was this, this again, it was very serious and very real. And then they were baptized, and they were part of this church, and there's accountability, and there's separation from the world, and there's admonishment and encouragement, and then they were, uh, they were taught these things. And again, I knew there was something very special about the Apostolic Christian Church. And at that time, I thought, uh, when I was growing up, I thought we were the only ones. I'm not saying that out of uh, arrogance, more just out of uh, innocence. I thought we were the only church that taught that. And then when I became a Christian, after a few years, I realized that we weren't the only ones. I, I started to realize there's other, these Anabaptist churches out there, there's many other churches that, that taught like that. And now it's uh, a joy to me to, to meet other Anabaptist Christians and fellowship with you. And that's why I love uh, or fellowships like this, when we have a bunch of different groups of Anabaptists fellowship here together and uh, greeting each other in the Jesus' name and encourage each other and learning from each other, which I'm looking forward to meeting a lot of you. In fact, I just met uh, my wife and I at a subway before we came here, and there's a German Baptist couple we met, and it's a godly couple we had a nice conversation with. So I'm looking forward to meeting a lot of you and hearing your stories, and uh, we can encourage each other. In fact, just to, so I can shake off my nerves a little bit, why don't we take one second, or one, maybe one minute, and stand up and just kind of say hello to those around you who haven't met yet. Can we do that real quick? Just stand up and move around and, and say hello. God bless you, brother. <laughs> oh, hello. God bless you. So you're Amish, are we? Yes. Okay. 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 Nice to meet you. This is... If we can, maybe we can sit down now.
Don't you love fellowship? <laughs> Sorry to cut you off. We could probably do that for an hour. Um, I want to quick say a thank you to, again to the Overall Brothers for organizing this and to the Amish in this community to help put this on. Thank you very much. Thank you for those cooking meals and helping all, the, all, the th all that goes into this. I want to say thank you and I want to say what a tremendous privilege it is to be speaking today. Uh, my topic is non-resistance and then I'm going to explain the difference between a conscientious objector and a non-combatant. And I'm a little nervous just because this is kind of a controversial subject in, in the world. And I want to... And a lot's been said about non-resistance, so I'm not going to talk about it too much. But I, want, I thought it would be beautiful to take a fresh look today at non-resistance. Um, and then I'll explain the difference. And tell you a little more about the Apostolic Church. So, uh, when I was in... I'll tell you two stories to kind of... Uh, as we introduce non-resistance. When I was in fourth grade, I went to a school called Austin Elementary School, and there was a bully in my class whose name was Ray, and at one point he kind of targeted me and decided to kind of pick on me, and I don't really know why. And early on I thought, uh, we were out of recess one day, and I thought, you know what? Uh, he's a bully, he's evil, I'm going to take care of this. So I, I thought, I'll just take this upon myself. So one day we were out at recess. Recess was about over. I'm not sure where the teachers were. I, and I saw him. I said, hey, Ray. I went to this bullet and stood up to him. And I'll never forget. I, I, went, I got in his face and I said, hey, Ray, is that your face or did your neck throw up? And I made fun of him. And then he said, excuse me? And I kind of stood up to him. I said, leave me alone. I got kind of rough with him. And then he looked at me and said, okay. And then he punched me in the face. Uh, and I, I, I've never been punched in the face before, and I wasn't expecting that. And, but from that point on, I was even more scared of him. I didn't bother him anymore, and he kind of picked on me some more still, and we just didn't like each other until the rest of our school days, until eventually, not related to that, but our family ended up moving. I went to a new school, and I never saw Ray again. But I wonder many times what would have happened if I would have, instead of trying to resist evil with evil, if I would have shown him love somehow. Uh, brought him a cookie that my mom made or something. I started showing him love and seeing if I could develop a, a relationship with him. Does that make sense? Uh, another story. This is just a few years ago. Um, I was subbing at a school in Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne, Indiana is a big uh, city. There's a lot of schools. And I was doing some substitute teaching there. And one morning, I was pulling into school. I'd never been in before. I forget the name of the, oh, the school. And there's a man who was pulling out. And I found out later this man has a habit of going out this exit where he's not really supposed to be and the teachers were trying to go in and I found this out later but I won that morning my first time in the school I was pulling into this uh, parking lot and here was this man I forget his name and he was trying to pull out and I was trying to pull in so it wasn't much room and I was you know traffic was going I was a little nervous so I, I pulled in got around him and went and parked but as I did that it really really upset him and uh and I went and parked, I saw this guy screaming at me as I went by, and then I, when, as I parked, I looked and saw him backing up, and he went and found a place to park, and I knew he was very upset. I could tell he was gonna come at me and shout. I didn't really know, understand what I did, but I remember sitting in my car thinking, you know what? I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna talk to this man, and I might get punched in the face again, but I'm gonna show him love, and we're gonna figure this out God's way. So I got out of my car, and I walked over to him, and he came right up to me. He was just, I don't know what all was going on in his life. He was very, very upset, road rage. And uh, he came right in my face and started shouting at me, profanity and swearing at me. And never hit me, but it was, but it was really close to me, shouting at me and shouting at me. And, cut. and, and uh, finally, when he was about done, I said, sir, I'm, I'm sorry. This is my first time in the school, and I don't know all the procedures yet. But I'll gladly share your concern with the other teachers. And I was very gentle and apologized with him. And then the man totally changed. He just melted. And you could tell he was embarrassed. He kind of hung his head. And he said, uh, uh, I'm sorry, man. Uh, I've had a rough day or <laughs> something. And he stuck out his hand and he introduced himself to me. And we talked to all like human beings. And we became friends. And thanks, brother. And, and, and that's not quite the end of the story. The next day, I slept in that same school again. As I parked, I was going to school. I heard someone calling for me. And I turned around. Here was this man. He came running me down in the school. And he ran me down again. He said, hey. I just want to tell you again, I'm so sorry about yesterday. And uh, I said, oh, well, I forgive you, no problem. We talked and, and makes you think, but there's a children's song. Oh, and I sang when I was little, it said, uh, love your enemies to death and turn them into friends. And that is the purpose of non-resistance. It's not fighting evil for evil, but 
uh, fighting with love and turning your enemies into friends. Amen? Is that... <laughs> uh, I want to share a few verses. Again, just take a fresh look at non-resistance. So as, as I like to call it, someone coined the term recently, suffering love. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 5.44, this is uh, God speaking through Jesus. He says, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. And do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Love your enemies. Love your enemies to death and turn them into friends. Jesus says, resist not evil. In Matthew 5.39, don't resist evil. He says, but whoever shall smite you on your right cheek, turn them the other cheek. Paul says in Romans 12, don't fight evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, I think of Ray, that bully. What would happen if I would have showed him love? In fact, somehow, some way, if Ray ever listened to this, uh, that bully, Ray, I'm sorry, and I love you. So if you have an outline in front of you, uh, uh, a was not resistant. We're going to B. B, uh, and the next point is what about war? Yeah, we can talk about bullies and things here and there, but what about, what is, what about war? Um, does non resistance, suffering, love apply to war as well? And we would say yes. And the, the early Christians, the Anabaptists, and uh, the kingdom Christians through the ages have all agreed yes, that applies to war as well. The Christians should not go to war, but they should overcome evil with good. Um, at this time, I'm going to mention, uh, there's a, just because so much can be said about non-resistance on my topic, I'm not going to argue with every hypothetical situation, all the parts of, of things there is to argue about non-resistance. But I want to recommend a teaching from David Rousseau. Um, maybe some of you have heard it. Uh, I really recommend it, especially if you're listening in. Or, there's a message he has called, When Good Men Do Nothing. And in that is a beautiful message on, uh, thank you, Brother John. <laughs> Um, pretty much how uh, a very respectful way exp explains way how Christians should uh, what to do about war and how there's always a better just how the Civil War could have been avoided and he goes through history and a lot of good points about um, how war can be avoided and uh, again that's when, when good men do nothing is a teaching my day or so it comes from there's a man named Edmund Burke that once said all that's necessary for triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing and day or so shares that quote and now that prayer and fasting and showing love to your enemies and so on is not doing nothing. Um, let's see. We'll go on and see. <clears throat> All right, so what if there is a war? So there's a war and you're a Christian, you're a non-resistant Christian, um, they ask you to go to war, you know, what do you do? And that is something that the early Christians faced, that's something the Anabaptists faced, and that's something a lot of Christians have faced through years. Um, you're, when your country tells you to go to war and fight, um, what do you do? So many Christians have said, uh, no, I cannot fight. Uh, I love my enemies, and, and, they, and they chose not to carry a gun or go to war, and then they were persecuted. They're thrown in jail. They're killed, they're, um, and so on. And um, at this point, I want to recommend another source. This is a book we have in the Apostolic Church. It's called Stories of Faith and Courage. And by the way, uh, Part D, uh, someone who doesn't go to war is called a conscientious objector, or a CO, and I'm not sure when that term was coined. That's a, what Christians can be called that don't go to war. It's called conscientious objectors, and that's what apostolic Christians were uh, at first, and many apostolic Christians suffered persecution in Europe for not going to war, and that was a stance the apostolic Christian church had, and they put out a few books, and these are stories of uh, Christians in our church that... Uh, Many stories of suffering love. Christians that suffered and uh, showed love to their enemies, not just in war, but other circumstances, and uh, what they went through in the prison they endured. And very good reading. I'm not sure why you got a hold of this. You can talk to me afterwards. They made a few different volumes. But it's called Stories of Faith and Courage and it's through the Apostolic Christian Church. I'll quick share one story from here. Maybe you've heard before. But about a man in Europe who was once traveling home, and he had a little bit of money in his, with him, and he was, he was on his way home, it was getting dark, 
and here some robbers came out of nowhere and they knocked him down. They didn't kill him, or I'm not sure how bad they hurt him, but they took his money. And here he had, he had some money in his pocket. He also had some money in his shoe as well. And they, they took his money and said, all right, do you have any more money? And this apostolic brother said, no. And they said, all right. And they kind of took off into the woods and were gone. And this brother is shaken up, stands up, he's glad he's alive, and suddenly realizes, right, I do have more money <laughs> in my shoe. I, I guess I lied to those guys. And then he felt bad, and he actually said, you know what? I'm going to go find them and talk to them. So he, there he goes into this, it's getting dark, and he walks into this woods and finds a little fire, how some people weren't, and here this, this brother approaches them slowly, and is like, uh, excuse me, and these people turn around, and, uh, and they, and they, and they're getting ready to grab their knives and whatever, and this man says, no, I, I don't mean any harm, I just want to come talk to you. I'm the, I'm the person you just robbed. And they looked at him really funny and said, what do you want? And he said, well, I, I'm sorry. I told you I gave you all my money, but I really didn't. I have a little more money. I came to give it to you. <laughs> and they just stared at him and said, who are you? And, and then, and, in fact, they felt so bad then, they gave him his money back. But then they said, sit down and tell us what kind of man you are that you would come and do this. And this brother sat down with them and shared with these, these, his enemies who he was. He was a Christian. And he talked about suffering love and, uh, and how he became a Christian, his life now, and talked about his church. And these guys just listened. And finally the man left. But the next Sunday, and, and the church, <laughs> all of a sudden these guys all show up. All these bandits show up to church and start asking a lot of questions and eventually repent of their sins and become part of the apostolic Christian church. Um, isn't that beautiful? So that's uh, stories like that in here. <clears throat> Alrighty. Okay, here's a, coming to the point now on part E in your outline, I want to talk about non-combatants. And here's where, again, I get a little nervous because I might step on some toes in, in the Apostolic Church. But uh, around World War I, uh, the gov many governments uh, in Europe and in America made, decided, that, you know what, how about we they decided to compromise and say, I wonder if we can get these conscientious objectors to come help in war if we tell them they don't have to carry a gun. And so, oh, by the way, a conscientious objector is someone who's against war and won't go at all. So a non-combatant is someone who will go to war, wear the uniform and so on, um, but won't carry a gun, won't kill anybody. So they'll be a medic or something like that. And, and that's what the Apostolic Christian Church embraced. So since World War II on, uh, it's the Apostolic Christian have been non-combatants. I want to quick mention, uh, my father actually went to, was in Vietnam, and, and that's all he knew. So he, uh, being a non-combatant was all he knew. So when he was, grew up in the Apostolic Church, he was a Christian, he was drafted, so he went. And he was a medic. And my father believes in non-resistance and suffering love, and you, you won't meet a more gentle, loving man than my father. And again, I, so I don't mean to step on the toes of many people in the Apostolic Church that served in the military as non-combatants. Um, and, and I'm not just saying this to my dad because he's my dad. My dad is, he is truly <laughs> pleased in suffering love. And I, and, uh, but uh, my fear is, my concern is, I feel like there's a few things about being a non-combatant that has uh, affected our church in a negative way, if I can say that. Uh, so and that's what I'm going to talk about now for the last part of the outline. It's just some, some areas that I, I, would, I would have a concerned with about being a non-combatant, and, and I'll, I'll, to begin with, I guess I'll share this. Uh, a few years ago, uh, with Brother Andrew St. Marie, he's a good friend of mine, he helped me write a book, and I wrote it a few years ago, and it's called Magnify the Lord. And in, in this book, I, I'm not promoting this book, <laughs> I'm just mentioning that uh, I, I noticed that we all, Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult in America, and then, but I noticed there's a lot of things that Jehovah's Witnesses do that I feel like a lot of other church groups do the same thing. You know, whether it twists scripture or uh, false prophecies, et cetera, et cetera. And I, so I wrote this, just had a thought. I wrote a book trying to just uh, challenge Christians in America, saying, you know, if we say that's wrong, then when the witnesses do it, then we shouldn't do it either. And in the, anyways, in this book, there's some things the witnesses do. They, they focus on these really little details. Uh, for example, they don't celebrate birthdays and some holidays, and they don't wear facial hair. All the men in Jehovah's Witnesses don't wear facial hair. And so if you want to be part of the JWs, you, have to, you can't have a beard. Uh, well, anyways, uh, in the Apostolic Christian Church as well, we don't have beards. Uh, it's, it's just a rural tradition in our church. 
So in, in this book, Magnify the Lord, I mentioned that. I actually picked on the Apostolic Church a little bit. I said, uh, mentioned the JOWs, how these focus on these little things, like, for example, no facial hair. And then I mentioned, so does the Apostolic Church. Uh, but after I wrote that book, I felt really bad just thinking, why did I mention that? I mean, these are my people that I love. And maybe I shouldn't have said anything about the Apostolic Christian Church. I was really self-conscious. And then, uh, lo and behold, a few years after that book was written, uh, the Apostolic Church... Uh, lifted that rule, that tradition, and of uh, facial hair. And now brothers in Apostolic Church have facial hair. And I have no idea if that's anything to do with the book I wrote, that what I mentioned there. I just thought that was interesting. So I guess I mentioned that because, just to say, if uh, what I share today can be encouragement to people, my people in the Apostolic Church, um, I hope it is. I hope that we can all glean from it as well, as you look at some areas of non-combatants. I hope we can all learn from it, but especially I hope that my people uh, will hear it from my heart. And I don't want to sound like a, a know-it-all or anything. I'm, I'm nothing, just some things I've observed. So I'll tell you, take on a, my, my journey from being a, becoming a non-combatant to a conscientious rejecter starts back in 1997, before I was a Christian. And uh, I was 19 years old, uh, just graduated from high school. And at this time, I, I told you I grew up in the church I love. I want to be part of someday, but I, I was not a Christian yet. I was still, I still like Cedar Point more than gatherings like this. But I knew I wanted to be part of the Apostolic Christian Church. I knew I wanted to give my life to Christ. But I remember going to Bible class one day, and this subject of non-resistance came up. And so much people have a hard time with that. What about this? What about this? And that, there I was with a bunch of my classmates, other kids raised in the Apostolic Church, that all had problems about non-resistance. I didn't totally understand it. And there I was. I didn't really ask any questions. I, but uh, there's a Sunday school a teacher, and we were there we're talking about non-resistance, and he said, I have an idea. How about I bring in someone who served in the Army next week, who served in Vietnam? Um, and they said, okay. And so the following Sunday, and I don't remember who this brother was, but, uh, I went, but uh, there's a brother, man that came in to our Bible class the next Sunday who's, who was a non-combatant during the Vietnam War. He came and talked to us. And the only thing I remember from that, at one point he was talking to us, and we're all listening. He said, well, there I don't remember the exact situation. But he said he was in, in Vietnam, and there was a fighting. And he said he was in a certain spot with some of the soldiers. And he was in at a position where he was uh, vulnerable and nervous. He was going to get shot. And he said he prayed that, God, that, the, that someone would kill those guys, the enemies, uh, the Viet Cong. And sure enough, some American soldiers shot him, and they were all killed. And life went on, you know. And after he shared that story, a bunch of my students who were not Christians all said, now wait a minute, wait a minute. What's the difference? If the American soldier shot him or if you shot him, what's the big <laughs> And does that make sense? Yeah. Right, so, okay. and, and I remember this man didn't have an answer. And I remember, I remember sitting there as a 19-year-old man, not converted yet, but thinking, yeah, I guess I don't understand. What is the difference? And whether he shoots him or someone else shoots him. And, and so eventually I became a Christian. And, uh, and I became part of the Apostolic Christian Church. I have so many loved friends there and loved ones. And, and so, uh, but this issue of non-resistance still was always kind of pestering me. And, but I, like I mentioned, a few years later, I started realizing there's other random Baptists out there, other churches like ours. I started fellowship with other people. And one day I come across the teachings of Dave Rousseau. started reading his books and hearing his messages. Ah, and then I read Dean Taylor's book, Change of Allegiance. And then I started, and I started just, I thought, like, you know, Jesus says, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. I feel like a kid in a candy store getting all that hands on all these teachings of non-resistance of suffering love. And I got a hold of a bunch of John D's messages um, of, of suffering love. And then finally, it's like a light click. I started really understanding what suffering love means. And I have a burden. I wonder if, uh, if much people in the Apostolic Church uh, realize what, what suffering love means. And again, what, is it because of our non-combatant status that's affected us in a negative way or whether it's other outside sources, I don't really know. Um, but eventually I came to that uh, understanding of, of suffering love. And I, so there's three things I feel are kind of inconsistent I'll mention uh, about non-combatantism. Number one, and I, again, I hope all, as Christians, as, as non-resistant Christians, we can all say amen. And, uh, number one, and when it comes to war, I feel like we do have to pick a side. Are we going to fight uh, for the country we live in? Or are we going to stay, stay with, stand with Jesus and embrace suffering love? Um, for example, the stoning of Stephen. When Stephen was stoned, there are some people that were stoning him. 
and there are many people that were not. And then there's one particular person named Saul who is present. I would kind of say he represents a non-combatant. So he was there. He didn't throw a stone at Stephen, but he was there holding the coats of the people, you know, kind of there supporting it all. Um, and later in Acts 22, Paul says, When the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, consenting unto his death, and kept the raiment of them that slew him. So my first point, I feel like we need to pick a side. Um, <clears throat> number two, this is my biggest burden, and this was planted in my heart back when I was 19 years old, is uh, number two, non-combatants. I feel like sometimes they're not truly non-resistant. <laughs> um, they just, you know, they, they want to kill the bad guys, they just don't want to be the one pulling the trigger. Um, I think the confusion comes from the Old Testament where it says thou shalt not kill and they kind of use that, that as a scripture to justify not carrying a gun or not killing um, but that's not why we don't go to war it's because Jesus says you know there's the Old Testament and now we're part of the New Testament where Jesus Christ has come and he says love your enemies I want to give an example uh, let's say you have loved ones in Switzerland for example uh, that's where my ancestors are all from and let's say America goes to war against Switzerland, and you have a bunch of family members or people you love there in Switzerland, um, would, you, would you go to war and uh, support them, uh, fighting against their family members, or would you not support it? Um, I would say you wouldn't want to go to war because those are your loved ones. Um, so our, my heart cry is we should say, those are my enemies. <laughs> I don't want to go to war against them. And I think uh, one, something that's kind of added to the confusion, a few years ago, um, I've never seen it, but there's a movie made about a man named Desmond Doss. I brought in a book today. Uh, it's called The Hero of Hacksaw Ridge. Um, I know someone who's a Seventh-day Adventist who, yeah, who gave me this book. And if those of you who've never heard of Desmond Doss, he was a... Uh, Seventh-day Adventists are also non-combatants. Um, and during World War II, he, uh, he went to World War II and fought for America, but he didn't carry a gun. So he was a non-combatant soldier. And when this movie and book came out, I, I know a lot of people got really excited, saying, oh, wow, Desmond Doss, he went to, didn't carry a gun, but went to war and so on. And so I read this book. I've never seen the movie. I don't recommend it. But uh, I read this book, and this book really promotes Seventh-day Adventist <laughs> propaganda. is really what it is. Um, but as I read this book, again, it made me think, this man, I don't think is promoting King Jesus' teachings. Um, yeah, he's not carrying a gun. I'm, there's probably some things we can learn from him. I don't want to totally, and I'm not here casting judgment upon anybody. I want to read a few excerpts from this book. Uh, number one, on page 60, this book is in the heat of the battle, and Desmond Doss was helping some men, uh, and there were some American soldiers behind him throwing grenades uh, at the Japanese. And then they saw Desmond Doss down there, and they started, they, were little, they thought they ought to be careful, because he's done, they don't want to hurt him and all that. Anyways, uh, so the grenades kind of started coming, and the Japanese kind of wondered what was, what was going on, and suddenly Desmond Dawes shouted back at them. He said, don't stop! Keep him coming! Keep throwing grenades! So the men, the American soldiers kept throwing grenades uh, towards the Japanese. Uh, as I read that, I just think, wow, did that uh, sound like suffering love? And page 36, uh, there's people kind of interrogating Desmond Doss at one point. On page 36, there's a lieutenant said, Doss, suppose someone was raping your wife. Wouldn't you use a gun? And Desmond Doss said, I wouldn't use a gun. I wouldn't kill him, but he'd sure wish he was dead when I got through with him. Again, I hope, I hope you see the difference here between suffering love and just not killing somebody. Um... By the way, as I'm, as I'm coming to a close, one of my biggest things that makes me a little nervous about speaking today is there's questions afterwards. So I hope you'll be, <laughs> um, be gentle with me. And it's my first time. I am curious, by the way, Brother Nathan, am I, if I, if I ask, get asked a question I don't know, can I pass it off to John D. or somebody? Okay. We'll go. <laughs> I feel better already. Okay. <clears throat> and at what time is that supposed to be done? <laughs> All right. Number three, uh, so number one, uh, we need to pick a side. Number two um, is suffering love. It's not just, uh, I'm afraid that many non-combatants are, are not truly non-resistant. They just don't want to kill somebody. 
Uh, number three, also we need to consider our weaker brother. There's many examples where there may be a brother who can maybe, for example, they have no problem with drinking a little alcohol sometimes. But there's maybe a weaker brother that if he, if he sees that, if he, he just can't control himself, he wants to drink more. Uh, I don't know, I've never drank alcohol, but, uh, uh, but uh, maybe some brothers can have no problem being in a room by themselves and, uh, on the internet. And some brothers would, you know, they're just examples of weaker brothers. And this is an example where maybe someone can go to war as a non-combatant. And they, uh, they believe in suffering love. And they go and they, they maybe they, because they, they don't know better or whatever, they go as a non-combatant and they truly are non-resistant. Um, I'm going to give an example, like my dad, I think truly is. But, uh, and he, so someone could go and be a non-combatant in, in the military. Maybe someone would disagree with me. But my concern is, what about all the weaker brothers that see him go to war and they say, oh, well, Brother Jerry can go to war. Um, I think I can too. I, I won't carry a gun, but go America, whatever. We're going to fight this war. We're going to win. You know, and, and, they get, and then they, and they get trapped in this role. Of, oh, suddenly, they're not non-resistant anymore. And they want to kill the enemy. Suddenly, you know, and the, I hope that makes sense. So this, this concept that other brothers, other people watching um, that can't, that maybe they can handle that. You know, example would be, uh, I'll bring up sports. Let's say someone, uh, let's say someone is really good at football and they can actually go to the NFL and uh, this is going to sound like I'm really judging a lot of people, <laughs> but uh, let's say someone could truly be a Christian in the NFL and they, they, maybe they're, so let's say they're a really good wide receiver or running back and, they're, and they love Christ but they, and they're totally loving the way they play and they don't argue with the referees, they don't show off and they don't ever hit anybody somehow. Whatever. So let's say someone could do that. Um, but then you have all these people that say, hey, well, Bob's in the NFL, he can do it. Well, you know, then maybe they want to do it too. Or maybe they, they get all, suddenly you have all these people watching Bob. Now, maybe, let's say Bob's an Amishman. And all of a sudden, all these Amishmen are going to start getting into football and going rooting for the Colts and whatever. And uh, I feel like that's what's happened with, uh, with our non-combatant soldiers. They suddenly have, because in Apostolic Church now, you, um, <laughs> in fact, let me, let me go on to my next point. Uh, or my, I feel like in the Apostolic Church today, I feel like there's a lot of people that are very, very patriotic. Uh, again, why? Is it, I, I just feel like there just seems to be this God and, uh, God and country attitude in a lot of Apostolic Christians. And, I, and I'm not up here to paint. I could spend a whole hour saying how much I love the Apostolic Christian Church and saying the good things about it. So hope this doesn't sound like negative. I'm just sharing my, my concern to my people. I feel like a lot of people are becoming too patriotic, too focused on America instead of the kingdom of God and our brothers and sisters on the other, uh, throughout this uh, world. And uh, so I feel like there's a, too patriotic. I feel like there's, there's actually uh, some patriotic songs in some songbooks in the Apostolic Church. And I've heard them sung in church in Sunday school sometimes. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> patriotic songs, brothers. Uh, so, and, uh, and a lot of times, they, since we have these veterans now who served in Vietnam and so on, there's uh, during Veterans Day at church sometimes they really praise all these veterans. And again, I don't mean to belittle that. I'm, I think that would be hard to leave your family and go, and that was all they knew. And like my dad left his family for a year and served in the army. And I'm, from some people that he'd probably even help them grow. I don't know. So I don't want to belittle all that or, or make people upset with me. I'm just saying that I, I feel like that's uh, caused a lot of confusion on where our allegiance is. Uh, uh, for example, there's, a, uh, there's an apostolic school in Bluffton, Indiana. Uh, it's all a little private Christian school, apostolic school. And every morning at this school, all the teachers and the students put their hands on the heart and they pledge their allegiance to the American flag. And through all this, we are losing our non-resistant status. And a lot, in the apostolic church, I think there's a lot of people that don't know, uh, don't understand non-resistance, don't really know where they land. I, I've, and my 20 years of being a Christian, I've never heard a preacher give a sermon on non-resistance. Um, maybe there have been, I, I've never heard one. And I feel like there's a lot of uh, people that don't understand suffering love. Um, a lot of people talk about, well, someone came to my house, you know, uh, et cetera. Um, I wouldn't kill them, but they wish they were dead, you know, when I got through with them. That attitude. Um, there's actually many brothers in the Apostolic Church that carry guns, that have guns for self-defense, that, uh, that pack heat, you know, that have a uh, license, uh, and so on to carry guns. Some even during church services, in church they'll have guns on them. Um, there's just a, a not an understanding of the two kingdoms. It makes me want to just go out and start passing out John D messages <laughs> to everybody. Um, but. So I guess my final exhortation to my, my people in the Apostolic Church, brothers, 
again, if anyone hears this message, uh, and you know what? I don't know what the future holds. From what I understand, I doubt there'll be an option to be a non-combatant in the future. If, if a war comes again, you know, that's, uh, right now there is no draft. But if a draft comes back, uh, I think that there'll be, that won't be a, an option. So my encouragement to my people, I mean, because we'll probably have to make a choice. If a draft comes again, are we going to be COs and not support war? Or are we going to just go to war? Will we support war? So my plea is to stay non-resistant and become conscientious objectors. And uh, with that, I want to quick recommend one more book. Uh, not this one, I'll have it on me, but I think Brother... By the way, I think Andrew St. Maria has uh, the, the teaching. They were so teaching, um, when good men do nothing. And also, there's a book called The Call of the SSS. Has anybody read that book? A few. Very good book. Just something I think all of us, especially young, young Christians, need to read today. Just uh, kind of prepares us what would happen if there ever was a draft, which is a, a neat topic. But this book just goes... Uh, I recommend that book, Call the SSS. Um, I'm going to my final point uh, is, are you non-resistant? I'm going to, uh, Brother Andrew talked about how in those medieval years when you had the Catholic Church was reigning and people were just baptized as babies and they were a Christian all their lives. So you had what was called infant baptism. So you're just supposed to be a Christian all your life. And you had these people in the church that went to mass and did these things and they were not Christians at all. And, uh, and uh, so I do have a fear. I'm going to invent a term today, but infant non-resistance. I wonder if there's any people in Anabaptist churches that are infant non-resistant. They were uh, born, raised in Anabaptist church, and they're kind of uh, non-resistant all their life, but never truly embracing it. Maybe never embracing Christ. And... I mentioned that because a few years ago I worked on a construction team with some, some Anabaptist men and I had a good relationship with them and uh, they were definitely good Anabaptists they were good workers, they knew what they were doing they knew how to build pole barns and they dressed like Anabaptists and so on but they were not non-resistant my heart broke because I got to know them I don't know if they knew Christ or not I'm not here to pick on anybody um, but uh, the way they treated me if I messed up the way they talked was we were driving down the road about other people, someone cut us off, blankety blank, you know. Uh, just the way they lived, the way they treated each other, talked about things, they could tell. Yeah, their attitude is not suffering love. They did not love their enemies. But you know what? These young men, if a war came, a draft came, I'm sure they would say, oh, we're CEOs, we're conscientious objectors, we're, we go to this particular Anabaptist church, so we're not going to go to war. But you know what? <laughs> they would make good soldiers, I think, in the army. These guys... So my concern is that we, don't, that we are not just infant non-resistance, but that we are truly non-resistant. I mean, obviously, that we want we infant head covering, infant separation from the world, or infant, you know, mod anything, <laughs> but we truly embrace those things in, all, in our hearts. Um, in closing, I want to read a few some verses in Deuteronomy. And let me thank you again for uh, letting me share today, brother. This has been a joy. Oh, good. I got three minutes. Perfect. All right. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 2. So the children of Israel are getting ready to go into battle. This is in the Old Testament. And the priests actually come and, and kind of give them a little, uh, just makes me think of a motivation like a coach shouting at his team or something like that. So here's uh, the priest come and says, And it shall be, when ye are come nigh unto the battle, the priests shall approach and speak unto the people. And they shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint. Fear not, do not tremble, neither be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight you against your enemies to save you. So I, I picture this priest encouraging the uh, children of Israel. God's with you before you go out uh, into battle. So in closing, I want to just uh, be that priest and shout to my brothers and sisters today, to my fellow non-resistant Christians. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, we are in a battle. We're fighting against Satan and demons. We're fighting against sin. We're fighting for truth. We are soldiers for Jesus Christ, and we must fight, and we must be brave. We cannot give up, but this battle is not won with fists and weapons. We don't fight this battle with the world's methods and we don't support the world's methods we fight this battle on our knees 
We fight this battle with love. We will love our brothers. We will love our wives. We will love our children. And we will love Christ and keep his commandments. We will love our neighbors and we will love our enemies. We must be willing to suffer, to turn the other cheek, to go the extra mile, to turn our enemies into friends. Brothers, lay down your weapons. Lay down your guns. Lay down your lives. And let us lift up Jesus Christ and his glorious kingdom. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Name and where you're from. Please hold the mic close to your mouth. I'm John D. Martin from Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. Was Samuel Furley non-resistant? What did he teach? Samuel Froelich was the founder of the right, Apostolic right, Church. Right, right, yeah. Okay, that's a good question, Brother John. Thank you. Um, and that could be a whole other topic. Uh, Samuel Froelich started the Apostolic Church. He left the uh, state Protestant church in the 1830s, and he was very passionate about the born-again experience, about the rebirth. And uh, so he was excommunicated quite because of his preaching in the Protestant church. Started the Apostolic Church, and... Uh, very, very of a bulldog personality, but I don't think ever totally embraced non-resistance from what I understand. Um, a lot of his early converts, sadly, I'm not saying good or bad, were, were people from Anabaptist churches. Churches were probably kind of growing cold and uh, they, they were inspired by his preaching. So I, I would say Anabaptists really kind of shaped the, the, the function of the apostolic church in a lot of ways. And, and I would say the apostolic Christian church today would be a part of the apostolic Anabaptist heritage. But uh, and then the people, the Apostolic Church immediately embraced a non-resistance. But from, from what I understand, Samuel Fraylich was kind of swayed by some early uh, converts that were Mennonites or Amish about non-resistance. He didn't really understand it or believe it himself, but I think uh, he accepted it. And I want to read an excerpt from a letter, so I'm glad you asked that. I wasn't <laughs> um, but later on in his life, uh, someone asked him questions about, about war. And this is what Fraylich said. He said, as a matter of conscience is left to each brother's option as to whether he would not accept such service as willing to suffer on the account and that uh, this is a law unto himself and should do according to his conscience before God and not against his conscience. But if a brother should say, I have no conscience concerning war, then I should not make him a conscience. In other words, he just thought it's up to the individual person. He was, uh, um, it's hard to really say where he was at, but I don't, he didn't really embrace non-resistance. I don't think so. All right, I have something else to say. To put this all in context, he was in Switzerland. And Switzerland never granted our people a conscientious objection option. You either went, and you were called up to the reserves every year. And so you either went to the military or you went to prison. So I think that probably had something to do with how they processed this whole thing because it really cost to be non-resistant in Switzerland. So I just wanted to put that in context. David Black, Linden, Tennessee. Uh, I think a lot of uh, churches uh, back away from non-resistance maybe that uh, had that position because there's a fear of persecution. Um, there is a desire to fit into the world. And uh, I feel that the step towards a rejection in the end of non-resistance, it comes in steps. Uh, CO to non-combatant, that's a step from being a conscientious objector to, uh, to a non-combatant. In other words, it's one step closer to being accepted. And I have a feeling that a lot of that goes on today in some of the plain churches when they allow their young people to sign up for the draft that's one more step towards into the system. And a lot of that is done because there is a fear of persecution. There, you, you might go to jail if you don't sign up. So you're saying, David, that you, wouldn't, you don't encourage your young people to sign up? Okay. Now, you have to understand that David Black, he's a Baptist preacher, ex-Marine, and uh, so he's got his credentials here. <laughs> yeah, I, the Baptist church was not a non-resistant church, and as a result, 
if you were a wayward youth, they kind of pushed you towards the military to give you some discipline that they were not able to give you at home. Hmm. And so as a result, uh, I joined the Marine Corps in 1990, uh, 1989, uh, and served in the first Persian Gulf War. So I mean, I, I, I'm not here throwing stones at anybody. I'm just telling you that I had to learn a lesson myself. Thank you, David. John Higgins from Liberty, Kentucky. Um, thank you so much for coming, Matt, and sharing this with us from a different kind of point of view here, different angle. But um, I think with the crowd that we have here, there's not a, there's some other angles on non-resistance. And I heard one recently from a friend who ordered a load of lumber from a company, and it was taking quite a while for it to come. And by the time it was ready to come, the price had dropped considerably and he was, had to deal with, do, does he just cancel the order or pay the guy what he wanted? And he paid him. And that uh, may have uh, somewhat more of a, of a touch to some of us here that is non-resistance that we have to deal with on a regular basis. Uh, so I guess I'll throw you a softball now for the question. Uh, you're traveling and you go to a fast food restaurant and you sit down to eat and your french fries are cold. Do you eat them or do you take them back and get a, a hot order? <laughs> yeah, amen. That's a good question. Suffering, suffering love is part of all life. Maybe individual peace people would handle that different. I would just eat the french fries. <laughs> your name and where you're from? Willie Buck, New Paris, Indiana. And um, I was wondering wh where you would, uh, what you would say to a woman that's uh, assaulted to, uh, would she, resisting her attacker, uh, to me it would seem wrong to just passively cooperate with uh, someone committing sin. But I don't think killing them either, but how would you draw the line how much to uh, resist? I know we're, we're supposed to resist the devil, and I don't know how to uh, reconcile the verse on resisting evil and resisting the devil, but to me there should be some uh, um, something done there other than nothing. I wonder if a question like that would come up. <laughs> um. And that's a good question. Um, I'm going to open that up, though. Does anyone have a thought on that question? Thank you. Uh, Sam Coldrove, Eaton Rapids, Michigan, Grace Baptist. I have to look at my Marine brethren and look, look at him a lot for comfort. Resist. Um, my first life, I worked on Lansing Fire Ambulance and 25 years, 29 days. Uh, at the time, as a, about an eight-year medic, I had roughly five to 7,000 runs under my belt. I'm not Peter off the pickle boat. Um, I'm part of the Christian Firefighters Network, uh, a practicing Lutheran, of which I have since recovered. Um, and what you resist and what you think you're a, a, a non-combatant uh, never punched anyone in my life I'm really a very peaceable man um, when my partner was assaulted I didn't see it I was bending over the patient who is doing a very good impression of trying to die on me and I've got my ALS gear there I'm doing all that stuff and next thing I know the chair is broken across my back I can tell you now to this day I struggle with and I'm looking over at my marine brother to help me here um, when the police pulled me off with a chokehold, I was probably one second away from killing him with my bare hands. There is nothing more dangerous on the face of this earth than a human being. The talk about whatever the weapon is, is, is total foolishness. We are the most dangerous thing on two feet. Um, I, I still don't know how to deal with that. 
And in my faith journey, I would like to say I've had two Amish bishops, several people, Amishmen and Mennonites that I have known that have helped me on my faith journey, which is not complete. And non-resistance is um, final, the, the, the final crossing stone. But I will tell us all here, when you talk about resistance, it is prayerfully, prayerfully. I, I can honestly say, I, in my bare hands, I mean, you don't need a tool. And the pictures of the room where we were in, there's not a piece of drywall that's not broken. I don't remember a thing. I remember getting hit, coming up, seeing my partner on the ground, wheeling around. This guy comes to me, and that's the last thought I can remember till I am choked unconscious by the cops to get my hands off this guy's throat as I'm banging him on the ground. Because in my mind, by the way, I was not fighting for me. I was fighting for my patient. I was fighting for my partner. And that is also part of when you talk about non-resistance, you have to add that in there. If someone is attacking a loved one for you, what will you do? Unfortunately, I think I have a, a, I've somewhat answered that question. I'm not comfortable with it. But I think prayerfully, that's something you all might want to look at. And when you consider the draft, 70% of all the people that go to military service now are declared unfit. I'm going to tell you right now, when they start to go look for a pool of able-bodied young men and women, you are it. So, so my story. Thank you. Okay, any one more question? Right here. Let's do one more here. I don't have a question. I, I would, just from the question that was asked back, Dan Nunswander, Penville, Indiana. Uh, I, w I would like to pose this question. You know, we always hear these what ifs. What will you do, you know, if my wife is being raped? And I think it's the wrong question to ask. That's not a question of faith. Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Either we believe that or then we don't. 